Well, here we are on Sunday morning, the beginning of spring break, and time change Sunday, so in about an hour, there's going to be some people who are coming in thinking they're starting church, okay? And uh, you welcome a little bit. We also have some special guests here today. We found the most beautiful girls in all of the country, and they all play softball for the Sterling College softball team. Girls, wave your hand, would you please, right there? Let's welcome you today, being in worship with us, and uh, glad to have you with us today. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of Matthew. Let me just tell you a little personal story. Several years ago, Sandy and I, as we were approaching being empty nesters, and would admit to you, we were looking forward to it quite a bit, we began to do a little inventory of our lives, and we recognized that we had done a lot of things together. We'd had children and raised kids and grandkids, and uh, we'd done church together and ministry together. But we really began to look at the personal lives that we lived, and there was not a lot of intersection. And so we made a conscious decision to do something that would cause us to intersect better, if that would be a way. We examined each other's lives and uh, decided that there would be something that meant something to the other person we'd get involved in. And Sandy knew that I was a big Texas Ranger baseball fan, and so she became a Texas Ranger baseball fan, and she's really a good one. She could tell you all kinds of things about the players. She can talk smack about the Texas Rangers, okay? I mean, she knows the stuff, and she's really good at it, and we, we enjoy going to ball games together. But I started looking into her life, and uh, what did she enjoy that I could get involved in? And you may not know this about her. My wife taught art history for 20 years, has a degree in art design, and she is actually a docent at the Kimball Museum in Fort Worth. And so I decided, this Arkansas guy right here, is I was going to get involved in the art world and see if I could learn something. And uh, so I'd go to museums with her. We would go on vacation and enjoy those things. And I would admit to you, I'd look at a painting and it's kind of, you know, uh, couldn't really relate to it very often. So I decided to go to the Kimball one day and follow her around when she did one of her tours. And one of the very first paintings that we looked at was one that's in the Kimball. You'll see it here on the screen in just a moment. And it is really the, the painting that is the symbol of the Kimball art world in the museum there. And if they'll please put that on the screen, it's the first slide, guys. Uh, see if they can find that. You, can you find that one, Joel? There it is right there. Okay. And it, it really is a painting that hangs in the Kimball Museum. And I'd seen that painting several times. If you would, go ahead and leave it up, guys, because we're going to talk about it here in just a minute. So I began to listen to her, especially with a group of sixth graders, give meaning to this painting right here. Now, leave that up there, if you would, for just a minute. Now, when you look at that, you always want to have the first impression that you have when you look at a painting. And what do you see when you look at it first? You see a card game. And you see three people. It's really two on one right here, all right? Because you see a very innocent young man dressed of, uh, very well, playing cards, gambling with the other person. You'll notice behind the back of one of those guys some other cards and another guy looking over at his cards. And you could very easily see this is two people cheating, this young man. Uh, it's called the card sharps. And uh, a card shark is someone good at cards. A card sharp is someone who's cheating. And you look at this and you say, wow, that's a painting that is about playing cards and cheating somebody else. But in reality, you have to get below the surface of the meaning to understand it's a lot more than that. 
is actually a painting done by Caravaggio. By the way, his first name is Michelangelo, but it's not the Michelangelo. Caravaggio, he was a painter, and uh, he literally lived in the cardinal's home uh, in that world and the, the religious setting. And because, as you know, in that world, in that time, they used art to teach the Bible. The people were illiterate. And so in your great cathedrals of Europe, you'll see these great stained glasses. That's how they taught people the Word of God, because they didn't have a Bible and couldn't read. And so the cardinal asked Caravaggio to paint a painting that would represent a very, very famous parable. Now, you look at, so you know, I don't remember any of the parables talking about playing cards. Do you? Okay. I know a little Bible, not a lot of art, but a little bit of Bible. But in reality, this is a painting that represents, would you guess which parable? It represents the prodigal son. You see that young man on the left. You look into the naivete of his look, of his countenance. This is the young man that left his father and took everything, and he went away to spend it himself. Do you remember what it says in that parable? He spent his life on riotous living. And these are two people who realized they had an easy uh, mark right here, and they were stealing from him. But you see the innocence of it. He doesn't know what's happening, that his life is spiraling downward. And the cardinal kept this in his home as a picture, as a picture of the prodigal son. Now, what you see in that is that anytime you look at something on the surface, you may not understand what it means or what it's about, that you have to learn to get down below the surface and find the meaning in the background to be able to understand what it's supposed to represent. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus and realize that Jesus was not an art expert, but guess where he was an expert? He was an expert with people. And all throughout his life, you find him walking into various situations and encountering people. And what everyone else saw them one way, but Jesus saw them completely different. In, in Matthew chapter number four, you have this story. He was walking along the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left his nets and followed him. Then he grabbed two other brothers. Now, when you read that, you've got to recognize there's a lot more going on right here than just two fishermen. This is Jesus getting involved in the lives of Galilean fishermen. Do you and I realize, as you study the background of this, that to be a Galilean was the lowest form of society. Being a fisherman was even lower than that. And yet Jesus didn't see two illiterate Galilean fishermen. He saw some men who would change the world. Jesus had the ability to do that. And when he did that, he could draw people out in an incredible way. We find another story somewhat like that over in the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, it says that Jesus was teaching in the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. Think about that. Think about 18 years of suffering that she had been through. She was bent over, couldn't fully straighten up. When he saw her, and that's a very important word right there, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, woman, you're freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. What do you have right here? You have a lady that for years had been going to this synagogue. And it doesn't appear that anyone got involved in her need. Anybody got involved in her suffering, but Jesus did. Why? It's because he saw more 
than a crippled woman. He saw someone who by being healed could glorify God. But then one of my favorite stories is about a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho in Luke chapter 19. Passing through, he was going there, and behold, there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector, and he was very rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he couldn't because he was a small man. So he ran ahead, and he climbed up a sycamore tree to see him. We take groups to Israel, and one of the things we do is go through Jericho, and I'll always say, there's the tree, there's the tree, and everybody will take pictures, and then they realize it couldn't be that old, okay? And they do that in Israel all the time. Uh, there is a sycamore tree we take a picture of, and, and uh, but he went up that tree for Jesus was about to pass on the way. When Jesus came to the place, what did Jesus do? He looked up, he saw, and said to him, Zacchaeus, Come on down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down, and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Why? They said, he's going to be a guest of a man who's a sinner. Well, Zacchaeus stood, and he said, yes. But, oh, Lord, half my goods I'll give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it full foe. And Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to your house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to do what? to take care of himself. No, you're going to hear out of this text in two or three weeks, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Do you see a commonality in this? Do you see a commonality that like with Zacchaeus, there was a crowd, but they thought about Zacchaeus as a sinner, as somebody who was a thief, somebody who was crooked, somebody who defrauded many people in that world. And they never saw what could happen to his life if God got in his life. In fact, the religious leaders grumbled when Jesus went to his house. And you understand that very often in life, we can be walking along through life. And there's all kinds of people that God brings through our lives. And do we understand that God wants us to see them not as we see them, but to see them as God sees them. Because one of the things you discover in this book from Genesis to Revelation is God sees people, sees where people are. In fact, there's a, a, a word in the Old Testament, a Jehovah Roy, uh, El Roy, that speaks about the God who sees. And one of the things I would say to you this morning, more than anything else, is as you've come to this place today, you've come to enjoy some music and worship the Lord. You've come to hear the Word of God. But do you realize today that there's one thing that is common about every single person in this room? And that's the fact that God sees you and He knows exactly where you are. In spite of the fact that people around you might not know that, God knows that. He knows if you're someone the world calls ordinary that He wants to make extraordinary that the world may say to you, this is as far as you can get, but God would say, you know, if you follow me, I'm going to do something in your life that's supernatural if you'll give me a chance. Some of you this morning may be like that woman that suffers. There's people around you that may not even know the suffering and the need of your soul, but guess what? God knows. When he looks at you, he just doesn't see flesh and bones and person who uh, spends money and walks about this earth. He sees that suffering. And my goodness, what he wants to do is say, come to me. Let me heal you of that. But I also know there's some of you who could be here today and 
You, you may be like Zacchaeus, that the world has written you off of doing anything good. No way in the world, because of what you have done, that you could ever have a relationship with God. But I want you to know something. God sees that's not true. And the reason why Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross is, is to take people like you and me and Zacchaeus and show the world that he can restore us. He can move us to places we never could have imagined. If we would just be willing, if we would just be willing to let this God who sees us enter our lives, it'll change us like nothing else in the world can change us. As I look at that, I, I understand, yeah, God sees us, but to be candid with you, the purpose of this message is to say we should be seeing people like that. In other words, not only, I mean, we can all declare, yes, God sees, but what does that mean to you and me? What does that mean to the life we're going to live this afternoon and this week? If someone followed after us, what would they see about our lives? Would they only see someone who's about their life, or would they see someone who cares about someone else? Because as we're going to look in the Scripture in just a moment, you've got to get outside yourself to be able to see like Jesus sees. It's found over their text this morning. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 14, a very, very famous text. And we're just going to take a few minutes and dive into this and learn about what Jesus saw. Verse number nine, uh, 13, now when he heard this, he went, drew to a place in a boat, to a desolate place by himself. Uh, Matthew 14, verse 13. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him in foot from the towns. And he went to the shore. He saw, there's that word again, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, Whoa, this is a desolate place. We don't even know if DoorDash comes here, Okay. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away to the villages, and they can buy food for themselves, pay, for, pay their own way. The most important word in this entire text is that little three-letter word, but. Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. I would have liked to have got inside the thoughts of the apostles. that they were, Me give them something to eat? I'm going to feed this crowd. I'm going to go get them something to eat. You're kidding me. They said to him, you know, Lord, we only have five loaves and two fish. And he said, well, bring that here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and he gave it to the disciples. The disciples gave it to the crowds. Look at this. And they all ate. And they all were satisfied. And they all, they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And that day, those who ate, there were 5,000 men besides the women and the children. As you look at this, how in the world, how in the world do we learn how to see people like Jesus saw people? Well, one of the first things you'd see about this is we have to get out of our own agenda, our own little world, and be willing to get into somebody else's world. I'm afraid if someone were to follow me and you around this week and see what we do, how much of it would be about me? Now, now certainly, it says in the book of Philippians, we should look out for our interest, and certainly we should be caring for our lives. The Bible commands us to do that, but it also says, look out for the interest of others. And in our lives, there should be that balance of caring about what's going on in our lives and the responsibilities that we have and the task and the vision God's called us to be. But listen, 
what in the world about our lives would say that we try to get into the life of someone else? You look into this text, what did the disciples want to do? They wanted to send them away. Hey, Lord, let send them out to take care of their own selves. Let them go buy the food for themselves. What you see is these disciples, their agenda was them. Their agenda was what they wanted and what they needed. And to be candid with you, when you begin to look through the Scripture and understand what the Scripture says about this, we've got to be willing to get outside of ourselves and begin to look and see people as Jesus sees them. Do you remember here about three weeks ago, we look at the text about teaching, healing, and proclaiming the Word of God. And Jesus said, the reason I go to do this is because people are helpless. They're harassed. And they're like sheep without a shepherd. Have you just looked around you today? If there was ever a description of our world, there's a world that is helpless in face of what's going on. You watch what's going on in our world right now, and you want to do something about it, and people are frustrated because they know they can't. They know they can't. Then they want our leaders to go solve this problem. They want our leaders to take care of everything. And you encounter people, whether it's on the street, in the restaurant, wherever you'd go, You run on to frustrated people who don't have any direction for the future. But you see, you and I have to get below the surface. Just like a docent would help us see a painting. Learn to see people like Jesus sees them. And let us look into the eyes of people from Jesus' eyes. Begin to care about their needs and desire that we would make a difference in their lives. We have to stop our agenda someplace. And let somebody else's agenda be mine. As I look at this text, I I would admit to you, this text is pretty convicting to me. You say, well, wait a minute, Gary. Why would it be convicting of you? You've spent the last 150 years as a pastor, okay? And, And, you know, you've done all kinds of stuff as a minister. But let me be honest with you, could I? I would admit to you, one of the things I'll carry to my grave of guilt is too often in my life. I was so busy getting to my task that I walked by people and didn't get in their lives. That very, very often, God would put someone in my pathway, and I had somewhere I had to go, something I had to do, responsibility that I have, and I made the excuse I was doing God's work. When in reality, God's work was standing right in front of me. What he wanted me to do was stop into their eyes, find out who they were, and see them as Jesus sees them. I want you to know we will never be like Jesus until we begin to look into the eyes of others and see them like Jesus, and it's going to take our willingness to get off our agenda and get on his agenda. But then another thing out of this text, not only do we have to be willing to get out of our agenda and get into his, we have to also be willing to act. And to do it in a way that very often could cost us something. I, I look at this text. These disciples felt like these, these crowds were an interruption. <laughs> they were an intrusion. We want to get Jesus, get down the road. We know that he can get fish out of that sea in a moment. We'll have a great feast. We'll have a great time. We'll talk about all the crowd that showed up to hear Jesus. And we'll applaud that and think it's wonderful. And yet, Jesus wanted them to see the crowd. To see who they were, feel who they were. 
and understand that when God puts something in front of you, it's not his will that we would push it away. It's not his will that we'd say, hey, go, I hope you'll go make it. When God puts someone in front of us, guess who he's calling to get involved in that need? Us. He doesn't give us the alternative to dismiss it all and decide that we're not going to do anything about it. Do you know why we do that? (laughs) I know why I do it. It's because I'm worried about doing something that would cost me, someone take advantage of me. I also know that when you get involved in people's lives, it's messy, isn't it? There's some people around us that have got a mess. I want you to know that God took someone who was a mess (laughs) and brought them to him. So every one of us is a mess. Someone may have a, a little bigger degree of it than us. What we do is we want to send people away. Why? Because God may ask of us something. Now, by the way, people may take advantage of us. Do you think they didn't eat his food, Jesus' food, and head out? Do you think they didn't get healed and not ever come back and say thank you? The Bible's full of that kind of stuff. And yet what God says to us, seeing people as he sees, having the compassion it describes in this text that he had, means that we do more than look at them and say, I hope you get healed. That we're willing, we're willing to let God use us in their lives, and it may get messy, may be costly, may be taken advantage of, but a willingness to do that is part of learning to see people as God sees them. Tell you the truth, God's never going to let us see people if we always want to dismiss everything. He's only really going to show us the reality of it if he wants us to get in the middle of it. I saw this illustrated several years ago. I was uh, uh, just when I graduated from seminary back before they had electricity, okay, and got out of seminary. My first church, my first church was in Norman, Oklahoma, home of the dreaded Oklahoma Sooners, all right? And, uh, and uh, we lived there in Norman for uh, three years. I started off as youth minister of the church and you know, kind of like me, the way I operate in about five months, I was youth minister, education minister, administrator. I did everything but preach, and I definitely didn't sing, okay? And uh, so in that church, uh, we got involved in the building program. Well, it's my job, my job to help us build this building. And so I was working with the contractor. His name was Wayne Marley. I'll tell you, Wayne Marley is one of the godliest men I ever met. And and one day we were there working, and a guy came in to work, and the guy was late. And he, he said, you're, you're late again. And the guy said, yeah, I've got to walk several miles to get to work. And he said, you don't have a car? He said, no. And Wayne just stopped, reached in his pocket, took the keys to his car and said, you can have my car. And I was a little taken back by that because it's a pretty nice car. I mean, it's okay to give away junk, okay? Take it to Mission Arlington if it's junk, okay? All right. But he gave away the car. I watched that and I was quite surprised at that. Wayne got another car because he had to get to work too. After a couple of months one day, this guy drives up in this car. It looked like it had hit everything imaginable, okay? I mean, there were blue paint and red paint and dents all over this thing. And when he opened the door to clean it out, you'd have needed a rake, not a vacuum, all right? A rake. And I looked over at Wayne, and I said, gosh, look what he's done to your car. And Wayne, not in a condemning way, just met our faculty, said, well, it's not my car. I said, what do you mean? He said, wait, wait a minute. Everything I have belongs to the Lord, but the Lord told me to give him the car. 
Once he told me to give it to him, it's not my responsibility anymore. It's his responsibility. He's responsible what he does with it. I'm only responsible to do what God has called me to do. Wow. I've never seen that before. Never heard that before. What Wayne understood is, yeah, when you get in the middle of people's lives, it's going to get messy. They're going to take advantage of you. They're going to sometimes not come back and say thank you. But that's not the issue. The issue is have we seen them as God sees them? And are we willing to get out of our agenda and do something that may even cost us in the end because God has called us to do that? And you say, Gary, what, what will happen if I begin to do that? Okay? You know, I've got a pretty nice car. <laughs> i got this that God may ask of me. Well, guess what the people who see people as Jesus does and acts get to experience? We see it in this text. They experienced the supernatural power of God. If they'd sent them away to towns to eat, they would have never witnessed the miracle of the loaves and fishes. If they'd have said, hey, we're going to go get some carryout for everybody, and the disciples had found a way to solve that situation, and they'd taken up an offering from everybody and gone to towns and got the food and brought it back, guess what they would have missed? They would have missed seeing Almighty God take little boys, loaves, and fishes, and multiply for His glory. Let me be honest with you. I believe the reason why many of us don't get to witness the supernatural power of God is we only want the supernatural power of God for our agenda and our stuff. And we miss in this situation, as we see in all of these illustrations, is Jesus' agenda was the glory and the power of God. And any time we pursue that, any time we get involved for that to happen, people will get healed. James and John's and Peter's and Andrew's moved from being illiterate fishermen to incredible men of God that changed the world. And sinners like Zacchaeus get transformed in front of everybody's eyes, and it's obvious that's happening. And we get to even see loaves and fishes get multiplied for the glory of God. Let me be honest with you today. We're having these prayer meetings as a church, and we're calling out to God. If all we're doing is calling out to God for our stuff, God's not going to show up. God's going to show up. When his agenda becomes the agenda and our willingness to get involved in whatever God wants to do, and then God gladly shows up, and the power of God falls. Why? Because we have finally began to see God's agenda in our world. We recognize very often it's not our agenda. And we're willing, we're willing to be used by him and take the resources that God's given to us. And say, okay, God, I didn't own that anyway. So really what I give away, I'm giving away what's yours. And I'm not responsible to make them responsible. <clears throat> I'm just responsible to be obedient to what you've called me to do. But when I do it, I'll get to see the creator God of the universe get in the middle of it. And I'll witness the power of God. Do you want that? I do.
I don't know how many days, years, weeks, months, or whatever God's going to give me to live. But I don't want to live it headed after my stuff. I'd love to live it in the middle of the will of God, seeing God work and use me in his work in a way that people give glory to him. Do you want that for your life? Well, this afternoon, tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, at school, at work, the grocery store, at the restaurant, in the neighborhood, I've just got to be willing to say, Lord, let me see as you see. So I will know when you want me to stop what I'm doing for me. Get involved in their lives for your glory. I want you to know when that begins to happen, (laughs) that begins to happen, we'll get to see the power of God in our lives. Bow your heads with me, please, just a moment, would you? Just everyone be quiet for just a moment. I, I know we do lots of different closes with our service. Today, we're going to do something just kind of quiet and individual. Would, would you bow your head, close your eyes, no one looking around in this room. Would today, would you just draw a circle around yourself? And would you know today God sees you in that circle? And he knows where you are. He knows what you need. He's the God who sees. And as the God who sees, he's wanting to show you what he can do. What he can do. But then, would you feel the same conviction I feel? that I'm too much about me, too much about my work. Would you be willing to say today, Lord, let me look around and the people I encounter, let me see what you see. Let me hear. Let me hear what you'd have me to do. And those things I've been pushing aside. Let me embrace them. It's my ministry, my place, my time to get involved and to act. But then today, there could be someone in this room that you've never made that first step of giving your life to Christ. And you come to church, and you, you go, there's some guilt, you know there's some sin, you know there's some things, and you think doing religious stuff's going to help, and it will help some. But what will get you into a relationship with God is to acknowledge, like Zacchaeus, I'm a sinner. That identification to me is right. And I cannot save myself. And I cast myself upon the mercy and the grace of God. Believing that it is only the blood of Jesus that will cleanse me of unrighteousness. And a willingness to open your heart to what God would have you to do. 
Father, thank you this day that when we come to celebrate this Lord's Supper in a moment, that we'll do it knowing that you did all of this, not just to help us, but so that we could be equipped spiritually to help others. Help us, oh God, to do that for your glory. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you're here this morning, we would love to visit with you about your relationship with God. I want you to know we're in no hurry to get any place. We have places outside, out that door to the right, out this door to the left, you'll look. There will be ministers there. We'd love to help you with your relationship with God. Some of you are suffering. Some of you's lives have gotten into a mess. Oh, this is a church that loves that. We love messed up people because that's who we are. And we've just found the grace of God. You can go to that place. We'd love to help you. But today we want to celebrate the Lord's table. How would we do it in light of this sermon? Well, let's do it in light of the fact that since we have experienced this, we want others to experience this. And we want to do as God did for us, as he gave himself for us. We want to give ourselves to others. So what do we do is we take the bread. The bread's a reminder of Jesus' sacrifice. And we're willing to sacrifice because he sacrificed for us. Oh, you don't want to go too fast past that. He sacrificed for us so that we would then sacrifice for others. The blood of Jesus. Romans 4, happy is the person whose sins are forgiven. Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin for us. We might know the righteousness of God. This juice represents the willingness of Jesus to shed his blood for you and me. Shouldn't we be willing to give our lives for others? Do this in remembrance of Father, thank you for this moment. We could be reminded our focus today is not us, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. We end the service, Lord, with the Lord's Supper because we want it to be all about Jesus. Now, Father, as we leave this place in just a few minutes, help us to see like Jesus sees. In his name we pray, amen.